Greetings, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Communication Guru Podcast, where we believe it is not always what you say, but how you say it that matters the most. I'm your host, Tim McMurtry, president and CEO of Tim McMurtry International LLC, a business consultancy specializing in personal development and training, government and public affairs, along with corporate and community relations. I'm delighted to have you join us and I thank you for your listenership and viewership of this show. As you know, our aim on this platform is to discuss nuances and insights relative to the communication continuum to help you maximize the impact and results of effective communication within your own various spheres of influence, be it your business, your relationships, and or your workplace. We're here to help you become a top-notch communicator. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified when new episodes are released and are available for consumption. Now, among the many socioeconomic ramifications that have emerged during the COVID-19 pandemic, which none of us saw coming in its disruptive nature, along with the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd by the knee of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, who was recently sentenced to 22 and a half years, I believe, for that murder, has been a clarion call for deliberate efforts at improving diversity, equity, and inclusion across societal environments and business sectors. Now, what has also emerged, particularly in academia and institutions of higher learning, has been an advocacy for the inclusion of critical race theory. So we have this kind of coalescence of race-related issues. And in America, race has been a thorny subject for a long time. But even in its thorniness, in its sensitivity, in its varying opinions based on who you talk to, political, philosophical, ideological leanings, race has been a factor. Let's just be honest. And any denial thereof, at least here in America, would be intellectually dishonest. Now, that's not a big issue as it comes to or as it relates to us discussing it. But we need to be able to at least discuss it to hear other opinions, as well as to look at the historical record to see how race has indeed impacted things. And so we want to get into some of that today. Now, each of these items, diversity, inclusion, equity, critical race theory, each of these on their own are quite sensitive and thorny. And when you combine them together, they can be downright explosive. As such, an ability to implement effective communication strategies while traversing these philosophical landmines is most coveted and essential. Communication is a broad, broad subject matter, and its effectiveness and efficacy can be best seen when it is dealing with issues that otherwise are sensitive but need to have some sort of remedy and need to have some sort of consensus of intersection meaning that we might not agree with each other 100% of the time on 100% of the subjects. But if we can find a point of agreement in, let's say, 30% of what we're both talking about, or 50%, or 60%, or 70%, we might not ever get unanimity. But if we can get some agreement on, you know what, I agree with you there, this is how we're going to address that point 
with which we agree. And so with that, we want to go ahead and dive into this discussion, looking at and exploring diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as critical race theory from a lens of effective communication so that you can be equipped to address these issues most effectively in your sphere of influence, be it your workplace, your business, your life, your personal life, because it's not going away. I mean, it's here. If you haven't noticed, there are more and more different kinds of people coming into the mix. And most of the rights and the advocacy efforts, a lot of that stuff stemmed from the halo of morality, if you will, from the civil rights movement. For example, the Immigration Act didn't happen until after the Civil Rights Act was passed. And so many other groups, be it the LBGTQ+, and others, they have their civil rights bones shoehorning the civil rights movement. And the civil rights movement had as much to do with race as it did economics. So let us not be intellectually dishonest and say that race doesn't matter. It does. It has. And what we want to do is have it not matter as much, if at all. And we don't want to go into all the I'm colorblind and all of that because that's not good either. Because if you tell a person of color, I don't see color, that means you don't see them. So that's insulting, actually. That's unintended consequence of you trying to do the right thing. You can see color, just don't adversely impact them after you see it. That's really what us as people of color are looking for. And throughout the diaspora, that has been the historic challenge. And we want to look at some of the tenets as to why that has been a challenge. And more importantly, how we can remedy said challenges so that as time goes on, we don't have the same old challenges in the same old ways. So let's kind of dive into this. So we're going to talk about communication in an age of diversity, equity, inclusion and critical race theory. And again, our discussion today is to go ahead and just to equip you to be able to navigate through these sensitive subjects in an effective way that can bring about change. Now, this is not a zero-sum game. If one group advances, that means the other group has to step back. That's not what the issue is. The issue is there's enough pie for everybody to get a piece or a couple of pies themselves. This is not an either or, this is a both and. So let's just take a look at the historical record as we check this out and see if there's some ways we can communicatively bring about some remedies. So first, any attempt at discussing, uh, let alone moving forward with any measures of improved diversity, equity, and inclusion must start with a solid foundation from which those efforts can spring forward and be stabilized. So I was doing a training with a business colleague of mine with an organization and group with their top leadership. And we were doing some things. And one of the things that we wanted to establish first is let's have a uniform understanding of where the starting point is. So once we have an understanding where the starting point is, and more importantly, how that starting point may have impacted some of the trends that we are now trying to improve upon, that'll give a greater understanding of the context of this, as well as provide some incentive to improve it because there is at least an acknowledgement that, you know what, man, this can kind of be improved. So let's start going back to, let's say, 1619. Let's look at the historical truth, the chronological order of how we got to where we are today, going back to 1619. Now, going back to 1619 does not give us an eternal viewpoint of history. You know, time in and of itself is, but 
a dot on the rope of eternity. So we'll just start there for the purposes of this conversation. Because once again, we're trying to get to how do you navigate and communicate effectively diversity, equity, and inclusion along with critical race theory. Now, critical race theory in and of itself, let's say you don't feel, I don't, critical race theory, I think that should be illegal and outlawed. Okay, that's cool. So let's call it something else. But it has to address the fact that race has played a role in our systems, in our structures, in our institutions. How do we have race not be an issue anymore? Okay? That's what we're trying to get here. So this is an open-minded discussion, not a closed-minded one where we're throwing rocks. That ain't what this is. We are, though, going to acknowledge truth, though, because we're going to keep it 100 here because this is my show, and that's what I'm going to do. So historical truth, 1619, slavery, the enslavement of African-American people. Now, there were a couple of minor pockets of non-black people who were enslaved as well. But nobody in America was enslaved as long as African-Americans were. So let's just start with that premise that slavery was real, slavery happened, slavery sucked. That peculiar institution where a group of people, which was based on their race, were enslaved and forced into free labor for hundreds of years. Now, we won't even talk about reparations. We won't even get into that conversation. But if we were to just suppose that if the minimum wage right now in America is $7.75 and there was some back pay that was given for those efforts, how do we calculate that $7.75 per person back pay if we just paid a minimum wage? And now with all the rules we have with overtime and double time on holidays and all that, those workers that work during those times, double shifts from dark to dark, before the sun came up, after the sun went down. Yeah, based on race. So out the gate, race has been an issue, okay? And when we go into the details of just how gritty and grimy and just horrific that institution was, you have the maiming of people. I mean, the cutting off of different limbs, the whippings, the beatings. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine who happens to be white. And we were talking about this because I was doing a guest visit on her show. She has a show as well. And as we were talking about it, I was given descriptions of some of the things that went on, like lynchings and things like that. Black people were hanged because they were black, falsely accused of committing crimes because they were black. And not only were they hanged, but there were postcards being made and people would stand around. White people. No, I'm saying this is not a, all white people are bad, but there were some people who were complicit in this. It was a party. It was a watch party of some hangings. I mean, that happened. And as we were discussing these things, she was like, man, that's some tough stuff to hear. I said, yeah. And, and think about if it's already tough to even discuss, to hear about these kind of atrocities, just hearing about it, it can be uncomfortable. Imagine how the people felt that had to endure it. Yeah, that's suckier than hearing it, having to go through it. So the premise here is that we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. These are some of the reasons why we need to pay attention to and make efforts to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion because we have a sordid history here in our country that wasn't too sweet on the diversity, equity, and inclusion tip. And this is what we are trying to address to make things better. But we have to lay out this groundwork so we have a uniform starting point, which gives us incentive and conviction 
on why we want to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion, because it just didn't happen in, in a vacuum or by osmosis. There were some things that happened that led us to where we are now, that led us to disproportionate diversity, equity, and inclusion. These are some of those things that I'm talking about right now. After the slavery piece was done with, okay, and it wasn't because people were like, hey, this is a foul institution. Let's not treat people like that. Think about it. You got animal rights, okay? Michael Vick went to jail for fighting some dogs. We had people who were treated worse than dogs that were considered property. And people were doing things to them with impunity. Didn't go to jail. Didn't get convicted. None of that kind of stuff. So if you have enough compassion and capacity for an animal, you got to have capacity for empathy for human beings, man. Come on now. So as the slavery piece was coming to an end, there was a civil war that was fought. Okay. Now, the civil war was about economics and this racial piece was in the crosshairs. See, the southern states wanted to take their raw materials and send them overseas. But the northern states, which were becoming more and more industrial, were like, hey, man, you ain't sending that stuff overseas. You better send that up north. We all getting in on these reindeer games and getting paid. And so there was some beef there. Up until that time, most of the labor that was producing these goods, though, were black people. And they were relegated at that time because they were black to these lower rungs of society. Now, in essence, when you talk about value, you had the value of this so-called property was one thing. The other piece of value was what they were producing. So they were very, very valuable, but were arbitrarily considered useless and valueless because of the color of their skin. These are some of the seeds that were sown that got us to this racial inequity because you had one group, primarily black, that was considered a lower class, and you had another group that was white that was considered a higher class. It didn't matter their societal rankings. If you were white, you were better off than a black person simply because of your whiteness. That's America. That's how it's been. Hence, we need diversity, equity, and inclusion because this is what the foundation of the country was built upon, this inequity. So now we're trying to undo that inequity remedy it so we can have a true egalitarian state, a meritocracy where you ain't judged by the color of your skin. But like Dr. King said, the content of your character. But if a person can't get past the color of your skin to even get to your character, that's a challenge. That's a problem. And what we're looking to do here is to remedy that problem. So a civil war was fought. And part of that civil war was being fought, not just for the right for the southern states to send their goods wherever they wanted to. They also wanted to maintain the institution of slavery and the legal bondage of a group of people. Now, the reason why we're talking about this right now is because this is how we got to racial inequity. These are some of the reasons why it was unequal, which is why we have to go ahead and be at least appreciative of it to be able to see how we can dismantle it once and for all. So after the Civil War, we also had a few other things that jumped off as well. Now, you would think that if race is not an issue, if we fought a civil war and everything was good and fine and dandy, okay, the Emancipation Proclamation, and we just had the Juneteenth celebration, which recently became a national holiday. And that's just a recognition of the last of the black people who were enslaved finding out that they had been set free. This came a couple years after they were free. Now, why it take so long for them to get free? 
Why take so long for the news of their freedom to get to them? Why did people that knew that they had been freed keep them in bondage after knowing that a declaration had been made, emancipation proclamation had been made freeing them? Deliberately denying them this knowledge. Come on, man. We've had issues in the country. Don't fake the funk. That's real talk. So that happened. So you think, okay, we fought the war, the North won, the Union won, the Confederate states lost, to the victor goes the spoils. When you lose a war, you ain't really got nothing to say anymore. You lost. You fought. Let's settle this like a man. You settled it like a man. You got whooped. It's over. Now we're going to go ahead and have equality. An attempt at diversity, equity, inclusion, and inclusion was attempted during what is called Reconstruction. Reconstruction was a period of maybe 18, it was 1870s, only lasted about eight to 10 years, where there was attempts made to say, you know what? All men are created equal. This institution of slavery was kind of foul, was out of order. Let us go ahead and rectify some of the damage that we've done through having things being open, having elections being open. You had African-Americans who were descendants of slaves that were able to get elected office at the U.S. Senate and those other positions, businesses, and things like that. But even during this time, there were some people who didn't like that. And there was a lot of pressure being put on the president. I think Rutherford B. Hayes might have been the president then. Don't quote me on that. But the president was pressured by Southern states to say, hey, these Negroes are getting too much liberty. Let us get back to how things were culturally. And what that meant was, let's get back to this inequitable diversity, equity, and inclusion kind of vibe. Again, based on race. It's been here, you all. We can't deny it. If we want to deal in reality, that's what reality is then. Okay? And this ain't artificial reality. This is the real deal. And all this, again, this is all just background just to help us stay in context of why we need to have some redress to this because it went on for a while. So after the Civil War, after Reconstruction, which was abruptly cut short because some folks didn't want to have equality for all, including black folks, there was a lot of things going on. There was a lot of sabotage that was going on. There was a lot of black property that was destroyed, lives that were killed because people were mad that black people were now starting to get equality. And there were deliberate efforts being made, just like there was deliberate efforts at enforcing slavery and bondage. Now there were deliberate efforts being made to remedy that. And it pissed some people off to the point of violence. And then the political will to keep doing it dissipated. Okay, and here we are. Supposedly, we don't have a race issue. Well, while we got all these fights going on then, and race ain't no issue, it's an issue. After that, you said, okay, Reconstruction, we're going to go ahead and do it a better way. Then you had Jim Crow. Jim Crow went on, let's legalize segregation, where based on race, the people were separated. Black people had to be in a certain spot. And white people were in another spot. I know there are other races, Asians, Hmong, Hispanics. But this portion of our history was primarily black folks and white folks. So for the sake of this conversation, those are the primary characters in this discussion, too. So keeping it going. So the Jim Crow piece was legalized segregation. There were signs and stuff on doors that said Negroes and dogs 
keep out. No Negroes, no dogs allowed. Now, you can't tell me that we don't have a race issue and you got deliberate oppression, systemic ostracization of a group of people based on color. Come on, man. I'm not trying to be the dead horse. I'm just trying to emphasize the fact that this is a real thing. It's not insurmountable, but it's a real thing. And you got some people that say, it ain't real. It is. You not thinking that it's real is a figment of your imagination. I'm trying to snap your behind back into reality so we can get this thing remedied. So after the hundred years, now slavery had ended. Emancipation Proclamation, Reconstruction. I thought everything was kumbaya. You mean tell me that a hundred, a hundred years, y'all? Segregation went on. Now, the part that makes this really, really poignant is that every other group that has had some dastardly deed done to them, going back to the Native Americans, okay? The Trail of Tears, where they were wiped out, slaughtered in mass numbers. As an attempted remedy to that, they have sovereign land now. Sovereign nations, the government said, hey, we were real foul to y'all. We might not be able to make it up totally, but as a token of our acknowledgement of being raggedy and foul with y'all, we're going to go ahead and grant y'all sovereignty in some lands. Y'all can do whatever y'all want to in those lands. You guys can, you know, build your economic powerhouses in the casinos and the hotels and things like that. And you can get some sort of economic retribution. That's them. That's what has happened to them. Our Jewish brothers and sisters. During the horrific nature of the Holocaust, where some six million Jews were slaughtered at the hands of Nazi Germany, there has been a never forget campaign for that as well. Never forget the Holocaust. Why? Because we don't want to repeat that again. That happened. And so that terrible episode happened. We don't want to forget it. So we're going to remember it so it never happens again. Trail the tears. We're going to remember it. Never forget so it doesn't happen again. Even as recently as, let's say, 9 11 where the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center knocked down the never forget all this remembrance. But when it comes to black people, get over slavery. Everybody else get a chance to remember it, never forget. But we supposed to just get over it. And what happened to us was worse than anybody else. Why? It's based on race again. When it's black, it's a, a disproportionate negative impact historically. And I'm just speaking facts, man, just laying the groundwork. I'm going to get to my main point in just a minute. This is all preamble. So you have that piece. My mother, okay? I'm not talking about Harriet Tubman. I'm not talking about Sojourner Truth. I'm talking about my mama who's still living. You know what I'm saying? Who is a seasoned woman. I had a, a situation, just to tell you how recent this is, the slavery situation, the civil rights movement, the Jim Crow era, Reconstruction, those things are kind of on a continuum that are still connected to our contemporary society. I had a friend, a colleague in the office, and I had some pecans that I was eating. I was shelling them. I was cracking the shells and pulling them out. He came by. I was like, hey, man, those some pecans? I said, yeah. He said, man, we used to have a bunch of pecan trees in my backyard. And we're here up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I didn't think pecans grew up here. I said, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Arkansas originally. Moved up here right around my high school years. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, my mom is from Arkansas. My mom was born and raised in Arkansas. I think a little town called Twist. Twist, Arkansas, right outside of West Memphis. Anyway, so I went and he was like, he went on and said some other thing. Like, yeah, man, we had the pecan trees in our yard. I even picked cotton. 
Now, this is a guy not even 50 years old picking cotton, black guy. I said, did you pick cotton? My mama picked cotton. So after the slavery piece, you had sharecropping. So you still had this agricultural indentured servitude that vast numbers of black people still had to endure. So I saw my mom later on that week, went by my mom and dad's house, just kind of hanging out, kicking it with them. And I said, hey, mom, I had this guy, one of my colleagues, came by the office and he was talking about how he had pecan trees and he also picked cotton. She was like, oh, really? I said, I got a cotton bud on my dresser. So she went to her room, got the, off the dresser, came back in. And my point is, is the contemporary history of race issues in America, which is why we want to get into improved diversity, equity, and inclusion. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. So she brings out this cotton bud and she says, yeah, I started picking cotton at like seven years old. I'm like, really? She said, yeah, kids have to pick cotton too. Matter of fact, I had a nine foot sack that I had to fill every day. I was like, really? She said, yeah. I said, well, when did you move up to Wisconsin? She said, in 1955. 1950, I think Jackie Robinson became the first black baseball player in maybe 53. This is the 50s, man. My mama was connected to picking cotton in the 50s. She then said, I said, well, how'd y'all get up here? She said, well, daddy, she lived with her grandfather. They called him daddy, and they called her grandmama mama. Daddy snuck us up here. <laughs> what? Yeah, he had a horse-drawn wagon, and we had to sneak away from the farm, or else the white farmer would have got mad if he known we were leaving. 1955, not 18-nothing. Race has played a role here. So they escaped. She was nine years old when they escaped. My mother, not Sojourner True, not Harriet Tubman, not anybody of antiquity. I'm talking about my mama. In 1955, y'all, in the 50s, not the roaring 20s, the Great Depression of the 30s, the 50s, man. And so if hiring was preferred white folks, if you black, I'm not hiring you. If you're black, you can't live in this neighborhood. If you're black, you can't go to this school. If you're black, you can't open business here. There are sunset towns, meaning that if the sun set and you were black in that town, there was a chance that you could get killed unless you got out before the sun went down. They call them sunset towns in America in the 50s. Matter of fact, it was miscegenation, mixed race marriages were illegal up until 19. 1967. Yeah. You couldn't even love nobody that was a different race. Legally. Until 1967. Couldn't get married to him. Yeah. So you can't tell me that race doesn't matter. Shut up. It does. It doesn't have to. We wish it didn't. Particularly being of the group that oftentimes faces the adverse impact behind policies associated with it. We want race not to matter more than anybody walking around. We just want other people to want it like that, too. Other ways that you see that race matters when the whole Black Lives Matter movement came, just in this purity, not even talking about, you know, any of the, just as a philosophy, Black Lives Matter. As soon as it came out, now you got to all lives matter. Well, when it's black folks, everybody got to get in on it. But when it's any particular group, 
When people say LBGTQ lives matter, nobody says all lives matter. They talk about that particular group. The recent legislation that was passed by President Biden on stop Asian hate. Nobody said everybody needs to stop hate. No, that group of people who stuff was being done to were able to say, hey, man, get up off me. But when black people say the same thing, now it's, well, everybody, come on, man, let's at least acknowledge that race has been an issue. Now, I'm not trying to use it as a crutch because black people don't have the luxury of saying, well, I can't move forward because race issues. We don't have that luxury. We still got to fight for it. We still got to move forward. We still got to operate at peak efficiency. We still got to jam. We still got to move forward as if that's not an issue. And we do on a regular basis. So we ain't tripping. Why are you playing a race card? We don't try to play the race card. It get played all the time with us. We wish the deck would get kicked out the window. Let me give you a couple anecdotes. I'm part of an organization called ALEM, African American Leadership Alliance Milwaukee. And in its genesis, it was designed to help set up support services or to set up a support network for African-American leaders so they'd be able to reverse leadership, executive boardrooms, executive positions throughout every sector, be it nonprofit, for-profit, et cetera, in the greater Milwaukee area, and also to help Milwaukee become a destination city for African-Americans to move to by 2025. So when it first was getting started a few years ago, there was a three-day retreat that really discussed a couple of different things. And it was 80 or 90% black people, but there were some other non-black participants as well, white, Hispanic, Latinx, that were there. They were allies. And so we did a bunch of different exercises as part of this retreat and these actionable items that we were trying to to get together. The purpose of the retreat was to come up with a 10-point plan of these are the 10 things we want to do as a result, deliverables, from this coalescence of people so we can move forward with this agenda. This can be our vision. This can be our mission. And we believe that we rock these 10 things. This city will be a great destination place for African-Americans by 2025. Atlanta North, if you will. So in this, we had a roundtable discussion like the last day. And there was, I think it's called a Mongolian roundtable where people come to the table, kind of like in a circle. People are kind of around them. And the person at the table, like four people at a time, says something. And after they say it, get some feedback, they get up from the seat. Somebody else comes to that seat. And you just do that to everybody that wants to have something to say, say what they have to say. And so the topic of discussion this day was tell of a time when you experienced racism. And some of the times were just really, I'm talking about it was very, very powerful experience. I mean, you had men and women just sharing some real foul stuff. And this took place, I think, in 2018. 2018, not 1818, 2018, there were some things people shared. I mean, tears were shared. I mean, men were crying in front of all these people. There was about 80 of us in this cohort. That's how powerful it was. So at the end of that, there was a discussion. You know, a question was like, well, hey, we have some people that are not black. Everybody that spoke in this Mongolian roundtable were black. But we got some white folks in here, too. So we want to see what y'all got to say. We don't always want to be the ones that have to push for diversity, equity, and inclusion, push for doing the right thing, push for equity. We want y'all to stand up and push for it too. And the right thing is the right thing, man. It doesn't have to have a color behind it. Justice is justice. Equity is equity. Equality is equality. Speak up. So one of the business leaders that was there is a white guy, well-known throughout the community, well-respected, does a lot of great work. He's a big baller, shot caller in the truest sense of the word. Quintessential big baller. So he got up, check this out. This is what he said. He said, yeah, this has been a very powerful experience for me. 
when we first started the first day, I was part of one of the breakout groups and we had an assignment. And for the assignment, we had to do X, Y, Z. He was describing what they had to do. He said, and every time I, and I was the only white person in that group, diversity, equity, and inclusion we're talking about here. I was the only white person in that group. And as I was offering suggestions and things that we ought to do, it seemed like I was being ignored and they didn't take any of my ideas. He said, so I got frustrated and I'll admit to you guys here, I was going to quit that day because I just couldn't take it. But I decided to just stick around. I thought I needed to be here and experience all of this. So I'm here. So afterwards, you know, he was just real, real candid. That was the atmosphere of this particular workshop, this particular roundtable. And so people gave some feedback and I raised my hand. I said, hey, sir, I know him personally. I said, thank you for sharing that. And I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm glad you experienced what you experienced. Now, I didn't want you to feel like you were being ignored, uh, not being fully valued, not like you didn't have anything to bring to the table that was of substance that could add to the greater good of the group. But I'm glad you experienced this because so, now you see how black people feel every day. You were going to quit after the first day. We endure that every day and are still expected to operate at peak efficiency. And we can't quit being black because we can't erase it off our skin. And for many of us, we don't want to erase it anyway. We're black and we're proud. And we appreciate what it brings to the table. We just want other people that when they see black to be willing to roll with diversity, equity, and inclusion for all. So here you are, a big time executive, a big baller, wealthy cat. So you got some internal fortitude, intestinal fortitude, some temerity. And you were almost crushed after one exercise of not being heard. Yeah, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a big deal and it's needed. So that's just a couple of examples of why we need this training and we need to be more open-minded because it's a real thing. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to the critical race there. I might have to do a second show, but I wanted to give just a couple of quick tidbits on how you can be an effective diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner in your sphere of influence so that you don't have these challenges. They can be minimized. Now, it might not be a perfect utopia where everything is perfect, but you can vastly improve those things that you're working through on the diversity, equity, and inclusion tip if you adopt a couple of these things that I'm going to share here. Number one, in your workplace, in your business, okay, one you have to have top-down courage. Before that, you have to have an appreciate, number one, appreciation of culture. What does that mean? That means that different people have different cultures, different societal norms, different ways of doing things, and your way of doing things ain't the only way stuff can get done. Ah, oh, man, so many stories I can give. So one, your culture has to be one that's genuinely open. You have to come to the table saying, you know what? I accept different cultures. And even if I don't fully understand the other culture, there is some level that I want to be able to identify with them on so that we can come to a point of intersection for the greater good of our organization. 
Culture is number one. Number two is top-down courage from the leadership, the executive level all the way down to the lowest level, the hierarchy of your organization has to adopt this proactive, open-minded, diversity, equity, and inclusion type of framework and philosophy. It has to be real. Not from a checking off a box. Well, we got the two black people. We got the two Hispanic people. We got No, from a genuine, organic, we want our culture to be able to attract and retain the best talent. I want my business, diversity, to be that because diversity of thought, diversity of philosophy, diversity of lived experience brings a broader base to your business, which will help your bottom line because you will be able to reach a broader spectrum of people. The final piece to this, in terms of the equity, diversity, and inclusion, you can't have this sense of tokenism. Now, may the best man win. Now, if you got two resumes looking in front of you, one of them said John Kozlowski, the other one says Jamal Jackson, you can't automatically discard Jamal Jackson because his name sound black. Uh-uh, look at the resume. And if the resumes are pretty equal, it's okay for you to hire Jamal Jackson without it being an affirmative action hire. They both are qualified. And the reason why this is important is because most of the workspaces, you don't hardly have any black people there. That's not because you don't have black talent. That's because the choice has been made pretty much often not to ever pick them, even when they're qualified. Diversity, equity, and inclusion says all things being equal, I can bring diverse people on staff and not feel that I'm trying to fill a quota because I got a qualified black person here. They're a qualified person. They just happen to be black. That's where your so-called colorblindness can come in. If you really colorblind, but you ain't because you can't even get past the name. If the name sound too black, Shaniqua Washington. Uh, I don't know. So if you get like a little something on the inside of you just by saying the name, yeah, you got some racial stuff going on with you that needs to be dealt with and mitigated. And that's really what we want to be able to do. So with this, the culture, having an understanding of different cultures can help you to appreciate it. I'll give you an example real quick, and I'm going to wrap this up in a couple of minutes. So I was at a diversity in philanthropy retreat a couple of years back, and there was all kind of people there, faith-based, business, private sector, LBGTQ+, Latinx, everybody. It was diversity in philanthropy. And so for most of the time, you sat with your table of folks that were in your particular cohort for the first day. The second day, they said, hey, we want you in this exercise right here to go get up from your table and your group, go find another group to sit with that you haven't you know, really talked to since we've been here, and you talk with them, and this is what this exercise is, find out more about it. Now, during this time, there had been some real thick discussion from different perspectives, one of which was the folks that were talking about the LGBTQ community. And there was some talk about how uh, the faith community has really not necessarily displayed the love of Christ to that particular group. Now, I happen to be a person of faith, and so I sought out this particular group to kind of talk to. And I said, hey, you guys said some things about the church and, and people that are people of faith uh, not really embracing LBGTQ people. And I was like, well, part of that is due to the teachings and beliefs of the Bible, our religious freedom, don't coincide with that. And that's not the only thing that doesn't coincide with. It doesn't coincide also with adultery or stealing or murder. There are other things that don't coincide with either. This is just one of those things. I said, so 
as a person of faith, what kind of things would you recommend that the church do to not necessarily compromise their position, but to be a bit more loving to individuals that might have different ways of doing things that they don't necessarily agree with? And the young lady I was talking to, who actually happened to be African-American, she was like, well, there are a group of young people that are LBGTQ+, and sometimes because their family kicks them out of the house, when they find out that they are this, a role like this, it's tough. And so they feel out of place. They're not welcomed anywhere. So one of the things that the church could do is approach it, because she brought up a particular point. She talked about MSM, and that was men having sex with men. And she said that in African-American community, it was kind of a crisis. And if it didn't get addressed, that by, I don't know, 2022 or 2025, that 70% or more of the men that do this, men that have sex with men but don't consider themselves to be gay, there could be a HIV outbreak that is kind of pandemic-ish. And so she said what the church can do is approach this from a public health angle. And that way you don't have to compromise your beliefs, but you're still able to address and engage in people and try to promote their overall quality of health and life and well-being, but it's through that lens. And if other things come up, you can do that during there, but that could be the premise so they don't feel ostracized and feel icky coming into the presence of people of faith. And I thought that was really, really powerful. All it was was you got diversity of philosophy, diversity of viewpoints, but instead of throwing stones, okay, is there a point of intersection that we can come to for the greater good of both entities is what that was an example of for me. So just like race, the diversity, equity, and inclusion piece, are there any points of intersection that can be fostered to help move things forward? That's really what we're looking to address here. So your culture has to be one that when you see other, it's not, ugh, but okay. If other is part of our team, how do we come to a point of intersection for the greater good of the team? That's number one, culture, a culture that's open to other is number one, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Number two, top-down courage. Now, the leader of the organization has to be one that enforces this. It's not enough just to set up a, we got a diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. But if that diversity, equity, and inclusion officer isn't supported by the entirety of the resources of the organization, they're going to be a person on an island, and they're going to be relegated to check off a box status, and they won't be respected among the rest of the executive team. That person ought to be part of the executive team, a direct report to the CEO, and when that individual needs resources, the CEO of the organization says, hey, get them what they need, not as an afterthought, not the sloppy leftovers, the sloppy seconds. But they are as important as the CFO. They are important as the COO. They are as important as the marketing director. They are as important as any other of the top chiefs in that organization. If you're going to be real serious about it. If not, just quit. Just say, we don't care nothing about that. We're going to do stuff we want to do. And yo mama, do that then. But if you are going to give lip service to we really want to be a diverse, equitable, da 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 this is the stuff you got to do. Number one, open culture. Number two, top-down courage to push this to ensure that it happens. And then number three, as you are pushing it to happen, don't succumb to the notion that you might get some Snickers, not just candy bar, but Snickers as in in terms of snarky comments. 
that you're just doing as an affirmative action situation. No, we're doing this because this is the greater good to do. Did y'all just not hear all the stuff I talked about as far as Jim Crow and slavery and legal? Hey, some stuff happened here. That has seeped into our institutions, our structures, and the way things are done. Unless they are deliberately dismantled, they won't get dismantled, okay? It's kind of like a reverse compound interest. So compound interest is when you put principal into something and at a certain rate of return, if you don't touch the principal, that money grows. The money makes its own money. Now, if these deeds had taken place, they're kind of like principal. Slavery was seed sown. On top of that, Civil War, seed sown. On top of that, Jim Crow, seed sown. As these seeds kept adding to the principal, you've had a compound interest of disenfranchisement. So just like in that money example, if you stop putting money into that principal, if you don't add any money, you just added money to this account for seven years in a row and you stopped it and didn't take any money out, that money will continue to compound, even though you're not putting none money into it anymore. It's still living. So when people say, well, slavery ended in 1863 or 1865, okay, it ended, but if there was nothing that touched the principle, it's still residually growing. Compound interest. So unless there are deliberate things that are done that say, hey, we had some unequitable things, we're going to do some stuff that are deliberately equitable, it will continue to grow. Just like that compound interest in that account, even though you haven't put money in the account for 20 years. The compound interest did not stop growing. Unless you go in there and you take the principal out, that's going to disrupt the rate of return. Same thing with this. Unless there are deliberate interventions being made, not from a, oh, we have to come in and save the... No, we got to come in because there's some stuff that went off not just seven years, but hundreds of years. There has to be remedy. Another example, and I'll leave you with this. I'll wrap it up with this. Have you ever went to a bathroom before? You had a public place or even at the house. You go to the bathroom, you just got to do the number one. But the person before you had to do the number two. You know what I'm saying? Boo-boo in there. Now, you wasn't in there with them. They could have had the runs. They could have had a big fat turd. They could have had a, when they was in there, they was boo-booing. Dookie is what they did in that bathroom. Now, you weren't in there. Okay? You ain't even in there yet. But they flushed the toilet. The number two was gone. It's gone. When you walk in, can you still smell it? Yeah. Matter of fact, you don't, even if the person is out of the bathroom before you get there, you didn't see them walk out. The first thing you said, man, somebody was in here. They blew this bathroom up. What's that called? That's called residue. So unless they do an intervention, such as get some spray to get rid of the residue, guess what you're going to walk into? <laughs> yeah. You're going to walk into some ish smelling is what you're about to do. What does that mean? That means that even though if something was stopped from the seed sowing piece directly, are there any residual impacts that still need to be remedied? And in this case, they do need to be remedied. And this isn't a case of a charity or giving somebody this unqualified opportunity and taking out of the mouth of one to feed the mouth of somebody. Uh-uh. It's about deliberately making sure that we have equitable opportunity when it presents themselves and to make sure that race does not prevent someone 
from getting an equitable shot. That's all. Man. Woo! I got some more stuff to say, y'all, but I'm out of time for today. I'm going to have to get maybe another show for that. I haven't even gotten to the critical race theory. That'll be next episode. So, good stuff, huh? We're just talking. No need to get all... No, we're having a conversation because we're adults and we're good. So, with that, I'm going to have to wrap this up. So, thanks so much for listening today. Uh, Remember to like, share, and subscribe to the Communication Guru Podcast. Also, be on the lookout for the Morning Inspiration vlogs. I put those out. These are designed to be wind behind your sail. Just encouraging words that you can have throughout the week. You know, sometimes you have tough days and just need an encouraging word. Need an attaboy or an girl. That's what these are. So check them out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. They're there. And finally, if you have a communication issue that you would like some assistance with, be it personal, organizational, business, life coaching, whatever you need that involves communication, drop me a line at tim at timmcmurtryinternational.com, tim at timmcmurtryinternational.com, and give me a little blurb of what the issue is, and we'll see how we can address that with you. We'll do a 15, 20-minute discovery call to see if we can go ahead and help you with that issue. So that's all I have for today, my friends. Thank you so much for listening and viewing. Uh, This is some juicy subject matter, but we can get through it through effective communication because it's not always what you say. It's how you say it that matters. So uh, until next time, thank you so much again and blessing and increase to you. Bam!